Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Okay, so we are joined here today by Lena Kaiman. Lena, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thanks, Dave. It's exciting to be here. This is my first time on a podcast. So I present all the time, you know, especially in this virtual world. So I have this headset on all day, but it's, um, this is exciting for me. So my name is Lena Kaiman. I am an audiologist and I work as a clinical trainer for Phonak. I love it. So when I approached you about this, um, you were one of the first people I met in this industry. So I always kind of had you on my radar as like, I need to get Lena on the podcast at some point because I love your story. And I think uh, you're just a really interesting person. But I was like, you know, would you like to come on? And you're like, I've never been on before. And I was like, oh, it's, you know, it's really casual. It's just like drinking a beer. <laughs> you know, it's just like sitting around and, and drinking some beers. And, and you're like, well, can we actually drink some beers? And so I was like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So here we are. What are you drinking? You have a cool beer. Yes, yes. Cheers, by the way. So Cheers. I'm drinking a Surf Wax IPA by Burial. That's awesome. Do you want to say what you're drinking or are you too embarrassed? <laughs> I'm not too embarrassed. <laughs> I'm drinking some lovely Budweiser Select uh, brewed for the Lou. Um, it's delicious and it's only 99 calories. Where oh, is lovely. Where's your uh, brewery beer from? This one is based out of Asheville, North Carolina, which is one of like the brewery capitals of the yeah. country. Um, but they also have another location closer to where I live in Raleigh. Okay. So, good so access. Let's let's start there. So you're from Raleigh. You're from like the, you live in Durham now, right? Durham. I'm not from Raleigh. Oh, you're not from Raleigh. Okay. I'm not even from North Carolina, but okay. I live in Durham, <laughs> but I'm from Arizona. Okay. All right. So let's go back to the start. How did you wind up into this industry um, all the way back at the beginning? It's just like so many audiologists, I sort of stumbled into it, right? And it's funny because my dad has hearing loss, pretty significant hearing loss. He has an implant on one side, a hearing aid on the other. He's worn hearing aids for a long time. But, and everyone asked me, oh, is he the reason you got into this? (laughs) And I feel bad saying that the answer is no, but it just it's not something we ever really talked about as much. And it never, even though I knew he got hearing aids, I think when I was in high school, maybe it never occurred to me as something to study or a field, um, a field of study or a profession. So when I was in college, I was browsing, you know, life choices and taking introductory (laughs) courses in a lot of different fields And then I came to this speech and hearing sciences class and the majority of it, the majority of the class was speech and language and speech pathology. And it was interesting, but nothing, you know, really spoke to me. Mm -hmm. And then I think the last two weeks of the semester, they started talking about the ear and audiology and hearing sciences. And I was hooked enough to to sign up for (laughs) another class. And then I was hooked and decided then and there I was going to go to grad school. Okay. And so where did you go to grad school? So that's when I made the move to North Carolina. So I went to UNC Chapel Hill and I've been in North Carolina ever since. 
Wow. Okay, cool. So you, you go to UNC. Um, and so what was your first venture after you graduated? What, what was your first opportunity that you pursued in the world of audiology? It's so it's funny. So at UNC, I was on a pediatric training grant. So I got all this specialized pediatric training under some of the best pediatric audiologists there are. And then I did my fourth year externship at the VA hospital, seeing okay. all adults. It was it was the best placement <laughs> for me um, at the time. But then thankfully, I got a position at a private practice. So I was able to see pediatrics and adults. It was an ENT practice. So I got to kind of flex almost all of my audiology muscles. I did vestibular and ABRs and bone anchored hearing aids. Um, pretty much the only thing I didn't do was cochlear implants, Okay, but it was a good, well-rounded practice. So you, you really have kind of touched every facet of, yeah, I love that. So you start with pediatrics, you go into the VA, you've done some private practice. What would you say is your favorite aspect of all of those? Um, what, what, what was it that you loved the most of that initial tour in the audiology world? Ooh, that's a good one. I just, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's the positive impact we can have on people. And that on the one hand sounds so boring. Like I love helping people. It's, you know, such a generic response, but whether you're, helping a kid hear for the first time, or an adult who's had this untreated hearing loss for years and years, or, you know, doing an Epley maneuver and fixing someone's BPPV and dizziness that was impacting their quality of life. There's so many different ways that we can help people. And that's what I love about audiology. Like it's so small. It's a very small world. It's a very specific field of study, but You'll never get bored. There's so many different things you can do within this tiny field. Um, that, there's so many different facets. Yeah, I've felt that way as well, that like it's small, but it's also very wide uh, encompassing. Like it touches a whole lot of different things. I mean, just on this podcast alone in the last two or three episodes that I've done, we've had a lot of conversations around neuroscience and how that's becoming, you know, this another sort of peripheral field that just continues to have more and more of a prominent role in this in this space. So I do think that it, it's sort of because it is so much of a, um, you know, it's it's a symptom of the brain, really, in many ways, uh, you know, your your sense of hearing um, in, in your sense of balance with your middle ear. It's just like so diversified in, in different ways. And I think that allows for just a lot of really interesting ways that you can impact people in, in, in positive ways. So I think that's really cool. So how then did you wind up at Phonak? For me, the opportunity came up. I'd always been interested in working on the manufacturer side of things when I was a student and when I was in clinic, anytime a manufacturer, whether it was the sales rep or the trainer came to the office, I would grill them with questions. What's your jobs <laughs> like? What do you do? What's your day to day? And I would, they would give, you know, some answers and then I'd be like, okay, but what are you doing tomorrow? Like what <laughs> kind of patients do you see and get really specific. So I think I've always been interested in the industry side, the manufacturing side and Phonak, um, great manufacturer, huge fan. I was a fan in clinic. Um, I fit a lot of Phonak. I um, have always had 
great relationships and great admiration for all the research done at Phonak. Um, so when the opportunity came up, it just made sense. And for me, what I love about being on this side of it is that I feel like I'm my scope and my reach, I'm able to help more people um, at the same time. So, you know, in clinic, I would see X amount of patients a day. Mm -hmm. But now if I can see X amount of providers who see X amount of patients a day, it's like I'm casting that net a bit further and having a bigger impact. Um, So that was really appealing for me. I think that's so cool. It really is. You're kind of like, uh, you're at that next, you know, sort of like uh, level in terms of the, just the sheer scope of people that you can reach, if you will. Um, Just as you mentioned, you know, because of the fact that each provider sees a set of patients every single day, it allows you to cast a wider net. Um, And so I'm curious, like, from your perspective, because I do think that's really unique where I, I do think this industry has a number of people that are a little bit older than you and I that are that have kind of um, done both sides. You know, they've worked for the manufacturers and then they've gone off and they've done their own. But how do you sort of see the world? Like, what do you what would you tell Lena, um, you know, the the Lena that was pre pre Phonak and then, you know, and vice versa. I'm just really curious of like kind of the way that you now see the world as being on the manufacturer side, you know, like what are some of the things that you think are important considerations to understand as it relates to, you know, if you have only operated inside of one of the manufacturers or if you've only operated as a private practitioner, what are some things that might be valuable or interesting as it relates to the, you know, like kind of operating in each of those two worlds? Ah, that's such a good question. That's a (laughs) lot to think about. Um, I think if I could go back and tell myself as a clinician, I would encourage reaching out to the manufacturers more for help because the technology is advancing so quickly and it's, it's a lot like I have a full-time job being an expert in one manufacturer's technology. And Mm -hmm. so for people who are out in the field who fit multiple manufacturers, let alone keeping up with all the diagnostics and everything, it's a lot to know. And so, and I very rarely called on a clinical trainer or called the manufacturer to help with the fitting And yet so much of what I do now is helping see patients and helping with specific fittings and applying this technology. And I always liken it, you know, if you're a clinician trying to fit another manufacturer's hearing aid that you're not as familiar with, it's it's like driving somebody else's car. Like, you know what you're looking for, but you don't know exactly where to find it, how many types of options there are. Like, do the windshield wipers, are there three different speeds or four? Or is it a twist or a click? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, the technology is changing so fast. So I think I would encourage myself as a past clinician and all clinicians now to rely on your clinical trainers. That's why we're there. And you know, it's different types of conversations. Of course, your, you know, sales representatives have more business conversations and which are important, of course, but, and there's a difference too, between calling on your trainer, who's in your geographical area, who's probably met you before versus calling headquarters, maybe getting put on hold and not having a face to the name of who you're talking to, but 
especially in this virtual world, we can connect on video and share screens. Um, it can really be so meaningful. And it's not, I would encourage, again, my old self, that it's not like shameful to have to ask for help or to not know the answer. It's not like you're uneducated or not keeping up with the times. There's just so much and so many nuances in the software. Like we can do so much more now than we could however many years ago that it's worth calling to ask for the expert in that technology because maybe there's something that you don't even know exists that could be the exact answer for that patient. That was such a good answer. It's like, you haven't, <laughs> I've never been on a podcast before. All right, let me hit you with a very difficult question to kick things off. Um, <laughs> but no, that was, I love the analogy too, to kind of like the, the rental car. Cause that's a great, you know, that's a great way to kind of think about it or, or, you know, it's not your own car. You're not fully used to it. You kind of have an idea of what to expect. So let me ask you though, like, what are a lot of the common questions? It sounds like obviously technology is at the heart of what a lot of what you're doing is guiding people to some of the new solutions, some of the different capabilities that the technology that today has. And I would definitely like to get on into that as the conversation goes, but what are, you know, in your day-to-day when you're meeting with all these different providers throughout the day, what's the kind of like common denominator, if you will, like what are some of the frequently asked questions? Bluetooth is the answer. Everything's Bluetooth. Yeah. And it's so funny because Bluetooth hearing aids. So like we talked about how you and I are kind of on the younger end of this profession, but I'm going to date myself that even though I'm one of the younger audiologists, Bluetooth hearing aids were not invented when I was in grad school. They were not a thing yet. We had accessories that could Bluetooth, but there was not Bluetooth and hearing aids. And yet now Bluetooth is such a huge part of what we do. Like the technology has advanced so much that when you're doing an initial fitting for your patients, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, the majority of that fitting was fine tuning and trying to get to targets and making it sound right. And and then at the end, you'd show them how to change the battery. Whereas now you can do a first fit and seven clicks and be on target And then you have the rest of that appointment to pair it to their phone, download the app. Most of the time you have to reset somebody's iCloud password for them. And, you know, so it's such a huge part of what we do. And I know more about Bluetooth now than I ever thought I would know about when I was in grad school to be an audiologist. And not a day goes by where I don't ask did you turn it off and back on again? Which I think was like an SNL sketch with Jimmy Fallon, you know, back in the day, the IT support, but it's true. And sometimes it's such a simple solution, but we all just got to turn it off and turn it back on again. But the biggest common denominator is Bluetooth. And it's amazing. Like it's a wonderful technology. We can do so many cool things wirelessly, but there's no doubt about it. It's a glitchy technology. I mean, There are times when I get into my car, which granted is not very often anymore, but (laughs) I go to pair my phone to my car because my partner and I, we share a car. So his phone was last connected. So I have to connect mine and it'll take me three tries. And I know what I'm doing. I know how to do it, but it doesn't work the first try and it doesn't work the second try. And then I have to change the order of turning things off and on and then it works. And same thing with like, if you have a smartwatch, there are times where it takes me three or four tries to get my watch to reconnect to my phone after it had died. And that's just the way it is with 
Bluetooth and it's, it's everywhere. You know, Bluetooth right. is wonderful, but it's a glitchy technology. And I had a customer recently, an audiologist, she was just getting so frustrated with all this Bluetooth. And she told me, you know, I wish I had a shirt that said, I'm an audiologist, not a cell phone technician. Like, and that actually spurred creating this whole hour-long CEU presentation on Bluetooth alone that we've been giving a lot and getting really good feedback from because it's like, here's all the things no one ever taught us, but now we need to know about fixed bandwidth versus adaptive bandwidth and 2.5 gigahertz and Bluetooth Classic, Bluetooth Low Energy, LE Audio. You know, there's so many different things now that just weren't around when we were getting educated on hearing aids. You hit on such an important topic right there for real though. Like this is, I think such an important thing to talk about. And I love that you mentioned at the beginning there where it's like, I kind of have this excess portion of my day because some of the automation that goes on and, and I totally understand the frustration that is felt by audiologists like the one that you mentioned where it's like, I want to just have a shirt that says, you know, this isn't what I signed up for. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is such an important part of the technology today, hate it or love it. It's just part of it. And, and so I, I love that Phonak is, is going kind of above and beyond to do everything they possibly can. But to your point, I mean, as a tech savvy person, I struggle with it too, you know, and it's like, who knows, you get a, a software update overnight that you're aware, unaware of, and then bam, your technology isn't pairing properly anymore. So it's something that I think we're all sort of frustrated by, but at the same time, the upside is like all this great connectivity that comes with it. But it is something that I love. I just love that whole thing because it's like, this is something that isn't, I don't think being talked about enough, which is that it's something that everybody's experiencing it's something that every patient wants, but also is kind of offloading the heavy lifting to their provider. And it's part of their patient expectation of like, well, why is this thing not working? My audiologist must have done something wrong, right? So there's, I, I, I really, really sympathize with this whole thing because I do see it as being both, uh, it's a double-edged sword. You know, it's like, there's a lot of positives, but there's a lot of negatives that are tied to that. But it kind of, the thing about it is it doesn't feel as if it's going to go away. Like I feel like it, in fact, it's actually going to probably increasingly become more complex. And I, I know that there are things that the manufacturers can do that can help to simplify things and, and try to make this just a little bit more seamless, but man, you, it's just, it's so true of everything that you said there where it's, I feel like this is something that is the probably the most frustrating thing amongst a lot of audiologists today is this notion of like, I didn't go to school for this. And I get that. But I feel like at the same time, it's like, there's really no avoiding it. Oh, it's not. It's not going away. Yeah. <laughs> if if you don't want to deal with Bluetooth, you got to find something else to do. <laughs> and I don't know what that is. But um, yeah, it's not going anywhere. And I just feel like there's this disconnect, like the rate at which technology is progressing and the rate at which we can educate people, it's like one is going faster than the other. (laughs) And like I had an appointment 
recently where, you know, Phonak has this great technology called tap control, which can enable you to do all these cool things. You can double tap your ear and access your voice assistant and do anything. You could ask, you know, what's the temperature outside? And you'll hear it in both ears. Mm -hmm. Or you could double tap and say, text mom, I'll call her tomorrow. And that'll hands-free send a text to my mother. And then I can double tap and say, send, set a reminder, call my mom Mm -hmm. tomorrow. Anyways, you can do so many things and it's great technology but it needs you have to be taught how to do the patient has to be taught how to do it and the provider really there's a lot of nuances to set you up for success it's not just as simple as turning it on or off and I met with someone recently who uh, I hadn't had a chance to connect with in a while and they said that they've been you know fitting all these devices but they turned that off because they didn't really know what it was and didn't understand it and they just automatically turned it off for everybody to avoid the complication. And that just, you know, that hurts my heart to hear that because <laughs> it's like, if I could have gotten there sooner to teach you this and set you up for success, how many people could have been using it? And granted, it's not for everybody. Not everybody needs it or wants it, but the potential is there. And so I think there's this disconnect, like the technology is advancing so rapidly, which is wonderful, but we need to get all of the people interacting with that technology caught up and that's a challenge. Yeah, it's a big challenge and it's not going away, like you said. But <laughs> I, I think that's again though, like this is where I think that it's all about how you frame it both in your mind and also the way that you position it in your clinic. Because here's the fact of the matter. Big box retailers and online sellers are not going to be doing this. And so this is where again even if this frustrates you, you have to recognize it as being an opportunity to really differentiate yourself on the basis of going the extra mile for people. And to your point, that the fact that now maybe that fitting process has been, you know, it, it went from being a 60 minute window to now really 45 minutes, but you still have that additional 15 minutes. So it's kind of like the name of the game is like, how do you maximize the time in that, you know, in that space? Some of it might be getting them set up, right? And this is like something I've been talking about, like I'm going to be doing an audiology online presentation soon where like this idea of, you know, you might have patients in there that were voracious readers and they've never been introduced to an audio book and you have that opportunity. You know, it's like, that's not really in your scope of service, but at the same time, we all know this to be a very word of mouth driven business. So if you can have that person walk away, A, feeling awesome about their own experience, the secondary effect of that is they might go out and tell everybody, I love these hearing aids that I have because I can hear better, but also because now I'm like, I've been introduced to this audiobook, And I know that's a really roundabout way in which the provider can kind of harness some value and, and, and derive value from that experience. But again, put yourself in the shoes of your patient. They don't know a lot of this stuff that exists. So you can be the one that sort of shepherds them along into these different aspects that are really, really cool and will really resonate with some of them. But again, it all kind of fits into this bucket of like, if, if you're always going to kind of operate under the assumption of like, that's not really audiology, that's not in the scope of my service, then you have to ask yourself, well, then how do you really differentiate from some of these other places? And that's not to say that it's like the end all be all, but these are just opportunities, I think, to kind of really stand apart. Absolutely. And especially as you think about 
like all the research coming out, looking at how hearing health is related to overall physical health, like audiology is changing. And again, it's wonderful, but yeah, it's on us to uh, open our patient's eyes because they don't know what they don't know. So for a lot of people, just the term Bluetooth is intimidating. You know, there are people out there with flip phones who think I would, I'll, you know, a flip phone is a choice at this point. (laughs) And they might think, I don't want Bluetooth. That's complicated. But if you set it up for them and teach them that instead of holding their flip phone on speakerphone up and trying to hear it on one side, they can leave it in their pocket, have a hands-free phone call and hear it in both ears. That might make the difference of whether or not they talk to their grandkids every week versus once a month, or, you know, it's connecting to their family and even little things like enabling caller ID announcements. Most people don't know that that's an option, but that's something that people love. I love it. So I wear my hearing aids all the time. I don't have hearing loss, but I have two phones. I have a work phone and a personal phone and they're always on me. (laughs) And I typically go on a walk every day and I'll put one in each back pocket or one in each coat pocket if it's cold. But I have my caller ID announcements enabled so that if my mom calls me on my personal phone or my boss calls me on my work phone or somebody's calling me about the extended warranty of my vehicle that I don't even own. You know, I'm going to answer the phone with a slightly different tone of voice for each Mm -hmm. of those. So being able to be holding my dog on a leash and holding a water bottle and not have to worry about, oh, who's calling me? I can just double tap my ear and answer the call and know who I'm picking up for is such it's like such a big deal. It's a wonderful thing to have. And it's so simple. It's just a setting in your phone, but most people don't know about that. And no, it's not an audiological setting, but it may be an audiologist who tells somebody about that feature. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, since you're dealing with so many of these providers that would be in those scenarios, um, what's kind of the feedback that you've gotten? Like, I obviously you mentioned the, the woman who had the shirt. And again, I understand that, but is this something that you think is um, recognized as like, yes, it's not necessarily in the scope of service, but it, it could be part of that process. It could be part of your suite of services, if you will, if you view this more of like, you know, you're, you're a communications expert to it, to an extent. I mean, do you feel as if this is something where it is actually resonating with the providers in the industry that like as frustrating as it might be, it it does present that opportunity? I think we're getting there. You know, any given day, I'll see a whole range. There's yeah. lots of different types of providers out there, but I think the ones, you know, change is hard. Change is scary. There's no doubt about it. Even I get frustrated when something new comes out because I'm like, well, I have to teach everyone else about, you know, change no matter what, even if you're excited about it, change is hard and change is scary. But I think the most successful hearing care providers are the ones who embrace change. Maybe they never thought they would do telehealth when I was in clinic. And they first came out with remote support and telehealth, and they came to me to the office to talk about it. I immediately said, no, thanks. Very Mm -hmm. close-minded. I was not even interested in learning about it. And now, you know, look at 2020. Telehealth is what saved so many practices um, and kept them open. So people embracing change and embracing that, yeah, maybe 
I have a whole appointment where all I do is help somebody with their phone and, you know, you charge for that, you bill for your services. I think, I think we're getting there and I think people are embracing change, but it's, it's a slow process and it's not a uniform process. (laughs) So many different types of providers out there. Yeah. Well, I love the, I love the comparison to telehealth because I think you're right where it's like, it starts off as a novelty and then it becomes, you know, it's kind of a nice to have, and then it becomes a need to have. Right. And Bluetooth is very similar in the sense that I was actually just looking at some old surveys um, that were issued by, I can't remember one of the publications in the industry. And it's really interesting. I I would love to plot this to show um, where you can see based on the survey respondents who are hearing aid wearers, you know, the um, basically like, the demand for Bluetooth functionality. And it starts off and it's in the single digits and then it's in the teens. And it's it's sort of in tandem with like smartphone adoption growth that, you know, you go into the mid 2010s and then you get up to about today. And it's almost like it's a standard, you know, it's like something that you just come to expect. And I kind of think telehealth might ultimately get there too. I think it, it will take a little bit longer, but I think you'll have to have some element of telehealth where you'll be able to need to, you know, you'll have to have that need um, because of the patient expectation. And again, I think this is the really big thing to understand is it doesn't necessarily matter what you think about it. It's what's the overall consensus of your patients. And so I think that that's a really important thing to think about is that especially around Bluetooth today is like becoming standardized. I think there's just like more elements of this that are new, that are novelties right now that ultimately might become kind of in that standard, uh, you know, fit that same bill. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, changing gears a little bit, um, I want to talk about, so you mentioned your dad. Um, this This is pretty interesting. I always find it cool when people have this personal connection to what they do. So your dad has, uh, you said he has an implant or he has Mm -hmm. two implants. He has one implant. He has a hybrid implant. So it's part implant, part hearing aid on one side, and then he has a hearing aid on the other. So this is, I find this interesting though, because, you know, obviously you're a provider and now you're a trainer, um, but you also have this very direct experience with a hearing aid wearer or a, you know, technology wearer. Um, So I'm just curious, like, what has his journey been like, in your opinion, you know, as somebody that um, has sort of, it sounds like early on, he's been diagnosed with this. So you've probably seen somebody that has sort of partaken in this evolution of technology in the progression of it getting more advanced. What, what, What would you say is sort of like his experience in terms of that whole span of the different iterations that he's experienced and maybe some of the really big benefits of that, maybe some of the detractions. I'm just curious to hear about his experience. Yeah, he's, so he's a difficult patient (laughs) (laughs) and I, I emailed and called his current audiologist personally to warn her ahead of time that he's (laughs) a difficult, like capital D difficult patient. (laughs) Um, he's wonderful. I love him, but he, there's no doubt about it. He's a difficult patient. Um, his journey has been interesting and I, 
it'd be so different if he didn't have an audiologist for a daughter. Yeah. So for example, again, he started seeing an audiologist and recognized that he had hearing loss and got hearing aids before I knew how to spell audiology. Um, but since then, I've gradually become more involved in his care and in his journey. And when he had a dramatic decrease in one side, it was when I was in grad school and I was immediately like I'd learned about it that day. I was like, Dad, you have a tumor. Like, this is it. You have, you have an acoustic neuroma. He didn't. Um, but it was, I was like, you had a sudden loss on one side. That's it. You have a tumor. He does not. Um, but he was wearing hearing aids and just really struggling. And I finally, and it's, I live thousands of miles away from him. So it's not like I can test his hearing whenever I want. It's not right. like I can change his wax trap for him or resync his Bluetooth when he's having trouble, which I wish I could. A lot of walking over on the phone. <laughs> um, but he, I presented the idea to him, you know, there's this new technology where it's, designed for people with hearing loss like yours, where you still have good low frequency hearing, but worse than the highs. And I had never worked with a hybrid implant. They had just gotten approved from the FDA when I was still in school. Um, but I reached out and got him in touch with a surgeon and an audiologist who works with implants. And that ended up being his journey. And he talks all the time, like he hears so much better now, but he never would have even looked into that if I hadn't suggested it. And yeah that's one of the flaws in this industry where there is this disconnect where you're either like an implant audiologist or you're not, but there's so much middle ground where we could be making referrals um, and getting patients access to more technology. I mean, same thing with Roger, you know, Roger can change people's lives. It has my dad's. He he refers to Roger like he's his best friend. It took, it took me years to convince my dad to use Roger because he was intimidated by the technology. He thought it'd be complicated. He wasn't sure. And then finally, I just kind of made him do it because <laughs> I have the ability to do that. And now he loves it, but it took, it took time. Um, and so his journey, again, he's a difficult patient and it's complicated because he has a mismatch of manufacturers where he has the cochlear implant on one side and a phonak hearing aid, spoiler alert, on the other. Um, <laughs> but it's really Roger that bridges the gap for him that makes it so that he could stream his TV to both ears or his phone or his computer and his podcasts. Um, but it's, there's no doubt about it. It's complicated technology and uh, like not, I mean, just as recently as last week, he needed help resyncing his Roger to his implant. And, you know, it's, there's no doubt about it. There's job security for hearing care providers to provide that service for patients and for clinical trainers who work for manufacturers to provide that same level. You said a, a few things that I really want to unpack there. The first thing I'll comment on is I fully agree with you. I think that, um, I've said it before that as the complexity rises in this industry, which I think it will do because of the amount of technology, um, that will lead to more demand for expertise. And so that's why, again, I think that there's such an impetus on the industry to, as frustrating and challenging as this can be, to own it. This is our domain, right? Like we have to own this so that nobody else comes in and takes it from us, more or less. Um, 
so that's I, I do think that's a huge sort of boon for the providers out there is that you will have really good job security so long as you're willing to kind of change with the times. Um, one thing you said, though, that was really interesting there, you said that it's there seems to be a gap around implants. And I know that you said at the beginning that um, that's like the one cochlear implants was the one aspect of audiology that you never really did. And for my own curiosity sake, and for some of the listeners out there, how can the industry be better about implants as a whole? What do you think is the right role that the industry by and large can be playing here? Um, it kind of seems to be another one of those areas that's just kind of almost underdeveloped within the industry. And I'm trying to understand what should we sort of be striving for that might collectively make sense? It's a big one. I don't have the full answer to solve all the problems sure. of the industry right here, right now. <laughs> but, you know, I think um, I think especially in rural areas, having more hearing care providers be more familiar with and more willing to serve implant patients. So, for example, my parents live in a small town and I won't say where just for the sake of not calling anyone out, but the point being where he got implanted, the closest implant center, I think is like a six and a half hour drive for him. Yeah. So he had to drive six and a half hours up there, of course, stay the night when he had his surgery and all of this, come home. And then however many weeks later it is, go back for the activation and then go back home. And he couldn't find an audiologist in his town who worked with cochlear implants. So anytime he had a problem, and again, he's a difficult patient. So there were problems, there were ear mold issues and yeah. uh, all kinds of stuff. And if his receiver died or whatnot, anytime he had a problem, he had to drive six and a half hours seemingly in the beginning, that was his impression that he had to do that even to just get somebody to look at his ear mold. And so I think, and granted, now he has found a new provider who's much closer to home and she is wonderful. Um, again, I called her to preemptively apologize for how <laughs> difficult he is. But I think having, especially in rural areas where there's not necessarily a huge cochlear implant center with world-renowned ENT surgeons, where maybe somebody travels for that surgery, but having more providers in rural areas be willing to see implant patients. And even if you've never done it before, learn how. Contact those manufacturers, get training. But I also think, you know, that's going to change as telehealth becomes more and more pre prevalent and available. We're able to do so much more. But I think there's opportunities for hearing care providers to branch out into more things just for being ready to help anybody who walks in their door, whether they bought, you know, a hearable online that they want to know if it's meeting their needs or not, or, you know, whether it's their hearing aids or an implant um, or whatever it is, I think just being more open to conquer any challenges that come through your door is going to be important. Great answer. I love that. Um, so the next thing I wanted to ask about that you mentioned initially was, Roger. Um, I've actually not really talked about Roger before, and this might be a really good opportunity as somebody that is a clinician, a clinical trainer on the technology. Um, 
and, and especially as it relates to the new chip that you all have, which as I understand it, you can integrate directly into it. It connects in pairs directly. So will you just share the premise of Roger? Absolutely. Roger, Roger's the best. It's the most <laughs> exciting technology to talk about. It's the most fun technology to demonstrate because people's jaws hit the floor when you're demonstrating Roger. Granted, it's been over a year since I've done an in-person demonstration, <laughs> but demoing Roger is so much fun. So Roger is a wireless protocol. It's on 2.4 gigahertz and it's a system. So it's a transmitter and a receiver. So if you think of the phrase Roger that, Roger stands for received orders given expected results. And that's what we want. We want you to understand the message. So that's what Roger does. And there are different types of Roger transmitters and different types of Roger receivers. And Roger's for everybody. So when I was in clinic, I totally shied away from Roger. I found the technology intimidating and complicated, and I didn't know how to talk about it. And in my mind, it was only for like severe to profound hearing losses who needed cochlear implants or kids in schools. And granted, I dabbled in those populations. The majority of the people I saw were not necessarily in those buckets. Yeah. However, and it's funny, so in like six years of private practice, I think I fit one Roger, and now it's my favorite technology to talk about. I presented on it at Phonax National Sales Meeting, like I tweet oh, about yeah. Roger all the time, my dad uses Roger, it's my favorite. Um, so when you look at, when you actually look at the market research and fitting data, the majority of people who use Roger have a moderate degree of hearing loss or less. Wow, so okay. That, Close out the door my misconceived notions that it was, you know, for the audiogram determined who could benefit. Ultimately, anybody who needs to hear better in significant amounts of background noise or distance can benefit from Roger. So it can help in group situations, in your yoga class, in your church, in your school, in your book club, in, you know, any number of situations and even more so than that. And it's so much more accessible than it was before. So there's no doubt about it. It used to be complicated, but it's financially more accessible. It's logistically more accessible for the provider. It's functionally more accessible for the patient with the developments we've had with Roger Direct, like you said. So instead of adding external parts and pieces and wearing things around the neck and making it all super complicated with pins and stickers, it's you know this digital installation of a receiver and then you can connect to these transmitters. And they have, I mean, there's so much research on Roger and the hearing performance with Roger. There's, there's no arguing with it. So they did a study and uh, it hasn't been published yet. And I don't have 100% of the details, but ultimately they had patients in all different types of technologies, different like types of hearing aids, and they were given the opportunity to use Roger. And then I think at the end of the study asked, you know, would you want this? Would you use this? Did you prefer this? And a hundred percent of the people <laughs> said, yes, they want Roger. They prefer really? like, there's no wiggle room there. There's no arguing with a hundred percent. And they've done studies comparing listening for people with hearing loss with Roger compared to normal hearing listeners and people, even with hearing loss, when they have access to Roger, they hear better than normal hearing listeners. 
Um, so it's this amazing technology, but again, we need to talk about it more. There needs to be more awareness about it and it's accessible to everybody. So while the seamless integration, it's, you know, the best case scenario is that it works with phone act hearing aids. It's accessible to people with non-phone act hearing aids. It's accessible to people with cochlear implants. It's accessible with sound field systems. It's accessible to everybody and it can make such a big difference. It's accessible to people with auditory processing disorder or ADHD who just need a boost in school. I mean, there's so many applications for Roger. And again, it's the most fun one to demonstrate because when you turn it on, especially if you're in a noisy place and granted, I haven't left the house in a year. I haven't been in a noisy <laughs> place and I don't know how long, but when we move back into that, it's the most fun demonstration because when you turn it on, Again, people's jaws hit the floor, their eyes light up. You yeah. can just like see this reaction and you're so blown away by the clear sound quality. So let's just uh, hypothetically say I come into your clinic back when you were a, a clinician and you're all on board with Roger. Um, what what are going to be maybe the two to three most common like red flag just went up? That's a Roger candidate right there. Like what are some of the most common examples, um, because I understand it, but I'm trying to really communicate to the audience now to say, like, these are the times where it really makes sense. Uh, You listed a few there, but just in your mind, um, are there a few where you're like, man, this is, gosh, Roger is a killer application for this particular instance? I mean, that's an easy one to answer because it's so versatile. Like it's not just one thing for one situation. So say you came in and you were like, I have trouble hearing my partner on date night. We go out to different places. I have trouble hearing them. And I have trouble hearing my TV. I have trouble hearing everybody wearing masks. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm in line at the grocery store and the cashiers has the mask and the plexiglass, I just can't hear. And I have trouble with my friends at our book club. So that's like four different things. Yeah. So as a clinician, you might be thinking, well, I could do the hearing aids for this. I could do a remote microphone for the one-on-one conversations, a TV device for the TV, maybe just increase gain or noise reduction. You know, you can kind of piece together these yep. different things, whereas one Roger can handle all of that. So it can handle one-on-one conversations. It can handle TV streaming. It can handle masks with just like a pointing mode. It can handle group conversations. Um, The best example of like a red flag indicator, this person needs Roger was I was helping somebody, an audiologist called me saying they had this patient who's a horseback riding instructor. And immediately I was like, they need Roger. But they went this whole story about what their problems are, the whole, there's distance, you know, there's noise, there's wind. Um, And I, I of course, let them finish. I didn't want to interrupt, but that was the most red, like, of course they need Roger. Um, And that person ended up getting Roger and it made such a difference for her. Um, It's really, it's like a night and day difference with Roger. Yeah. Like, I think that that's, uh, I love the comparison of like, yes, you can piecemeal this together. You can kind of come up with all these different things, but as I understand it, that's what's so great about it is it's sort of this all in one solution. And it used to be before the Roger direct capabilities, you had to wear like a neck loop, 
where it would then kind of stream to the neck loop and then the neck loop would stream it to your ears. So like now that it's all integrated in the hearing aid, it really is, it seems to be like a killer accessory that again, this all comes back to this notion of how do you stand apart in a market that's constantly becoming um, kind of like infused with new offerings and new channels that people might be able to go and get this from. And so if your whole notion is like, well, I'm a premium offering, I'm a expert, you know, I'm medical, um, whatever that might be. I just feel like these are the kinds of things that yes, they're different. Like, I think that's so interesting that you were in a position in a, you know, in a private practice for six years, you knew about this, but you never really kind of took that next step. And so the question is like, how do we get people on board with this notion of like, technology, if you embrace it and you take the time to understand the ways that you can position it, I just think that historically it there hasn't been as much of a, a need to do that because there weren't as many competitive channels that were competing for your patients, good or bad. And now it's like everywhere you look online, there are these, you know, shoddy devices that people are trying to market to your patients. And everybody knows like, that's not what they want. So then it just becomes like, well, then how do you solicit their attention? How do you make it so that they come and see you? And it feels like it's a combination of all these different things, which is like the, just knowing so much about what exists and that's challenging. And that's why we need provide our clinic, clinical trainers like you, <laughs> um, because it does feel like uh, at the crux of everything is going to be like that expertise of not only audiology, but like the technology too. I think it, there's a lot in how we present it too, really. Like we need to get out of the habit of making assumptions about what people want or don't want or making decisions for them. Like, well, they're not going to want an extra thing or, you know, this is too expensive for them. I can't talk to them about it. We need to lay all our cards out on the table. And I found that when I'm training people on Roger, it makes such a difference. So a lot of people, and I'm guilty of this. So I say this not to shame anyone who thinks right, this, but right. we just need to reframe the conversation. Like in my mind, <clears throat> Roger was a last resort. Like if you were still struggling, if somebody came back and you fit them with hearing aids and they had problems, you'd make adjustments. And then if they came back again, you'd add a manual program. And then if they went out in the real world and came back and then you said, well, I have this other thing, we can try it. This is what it is. It's like, at that point, it's a last resort. Why didn't you tell me in the beginning? I don't know. I don't, I'm frustrated. I don't think I want that. Whereas if on day one, you lay it out again, as a provider, you don't just fit hearing aids. You provide comprehensive hearing solutions. This is the best case scenario backed on research to get you hearing better in the situations that you had described from the beginning and doing that demo, which is just like the, you know, mind blowing for some people. Um, Even if maybe they decide not to get it after that demo on day one, at that point, they know it's an option. They can go out into the real world and realize, wow, this is great, but it could be better and then come back. So I think I have my work cut out for me to get the word out about Roger and train everybody on it. (laughs) 
But again, just making it more accessible for people. It's not as complicated. It's not a last resort to pick up for when hearing aids fail. It's like part of the big picture, best case solution for a lot of people. I love that. The comprehensive, you know, suite of solutions. Like that's, that's how I see it too. And I think that's such a great way to frame it. So as we kind of come to the close here, um, you know, pandemic, what, what any new hobbies, what's, what's life been like for you? I know you've been, you know, working from home, but um, you know, what's, what's 2020 and now into 2021 been like for you? I can't say that I have any tremendous new hobbies, which I feel like, <laughs> man, I should have better used the pandemic to build a hobby. <laughs> yeah. But I will say, so I'm a rock climber and I stopped going to the okay. rock climbing gym, obviously, but we built a rock climbing wall in my shed. Holy cow. Yeah, it's awesome. So now just on my lunch break after actually right before this, I was rock climbing. My hands are a little tired. Um, I can just walk out, you know, three steps out the door and do some climbing. So that's been the biggest upgrade. Do you, you don't do like free solo, do you? No, 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 no. It's eight feet tall. I mostly go left to right. Yeah. Um, Pretty low consequence climbing. When you, when you, when you do go out and about into the, like, when you go climbing outside of the shed, um, what's the coolest, coolest rock you've ever climbed? Coolest rock I've ever climbed is Grand Teton in Wyoming. And I climbed with my dad and funny story. He did not wear his hearing aids. I think he (laughs) cared about losing them or, and it's like, if anybody could afford to be a little bit reckless with their hearing aid technology. It's this, like, <laughs> right. you know, I could help him out, but yeah. he could not hear anything. And it's, you know, sounds peaceful. Now I actually use pictures of us climbing, being like, imagine if he had Roger. <laughs> like, <laughs> imagine how much better I would have felt if he could have heard me because he's holding the rope that I'm attached to. <laughs> that's so funny. But that's the, that's the biggest and most beautiful rock I've ever climbed. I love it. Well, cool. Well, this has been such a great conversation for your first podcast. I think you really killed it. So um, <laughs> thanks. thanks for coming on though. This has been a, an awesome conversation and I love your perspective. I really do. I think it's so cool that, you know, you had this passion, you pursued it, you got into like all these different facets, you were in private practice. Now you're a clinical trainer. And I love what you said at the beginning where it's like, initially you, you know, when you were in your practice, you got to impact just your own patients, but now you get to impact kind of second, you know, secondhand, you get to impact all of the providers that you train their patients. So I just think it's so cool. And I I think that, um, you know, as a fellow young professional in this industry, it's just really cool to see what you're doing. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really cheering for you as, as you continue to progress up the ladder. Cause I saw, as you said, you did that national sales meeting and you presented there and it sounds like you really kicked buck kicked butt at it. So, uh, congrats on that. And, and again, thank you for coming on here today. This has been great. Thank you. I mean, same to you. I think you are such an awesome presence in this industry and you have like such a wide reach and like <laughs> so much of the information I get is just from your Twitter. Like here's what's new <laughs> hearables or voice assistance and you're such well, a great resource for people. Um, yeah, I feel, well, I, I feel honored to be here. So thanks for having me. Well, my beer is just about gone. So same. cheers That's to our you. Cue. Yes, that is our cue. Cheers to you. Cheers to everybody who tuned in here to the end, and we will chat with you next time. Cheers.
Thanks, Dave. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll chat with you next time.